0: How's it going? What's up this week? This has been a weird week, eh? I mean, I feel like all of like my personal feel- fears around climate change have all just kind of exploded in like the combination of fire in a town, but also fire in the ocean, and it's kind of getting me down.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean... Yes, I am out here in Los Angeles, which is on the West Coast. It's not on the northern West Coast of the United States, which is getting the heat wave that British Columbia is dealing with right now, much worse, but we are still in a heat wave. And I'm just waiting for the fire announcement to come because it's inevitable, especially as we near um, July 4th. I mean, we're recording this on July 4th, actually, (laughs) haha. Um, which means fireworks, uh, which was the source of fires last year. So, um, you know, my fears have also peaked.
0: Hmm. Well, that'll make this episode a fun one. (laughs) They're all fun, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they sure are. Um, but I know we're not just going to talk about fires and fires in the water and fires in the land, but, um, some other stuff as well, but how, how are you? Do you have anything going on this week? This week,
1: um, yeah, I have some exciting things going on this week uh, that I can't tell you about um, yet, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, hopefully our listeners will find out about it by Friday. Um, some, some big BLM news, uh, and that'll be exciting. So that has been my week. And so for those of you who are listening to this uh, on Friday or at closer to the end of the week that's what I'm talking about. You'll hear it. And that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's great. It's really, really great. And I'm very, very excited. And um, we can talk about it next week.
0: I love it. I think I know what it is. And so I'm not going to say anything more than I can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) Great. Uh, But in the meantime,
1: I'm sure we have some people to thank.
0: Yes, we have a couple of folks to thank tonight and today, depending on when you're listening to this. Thank you so much for your support, whether that is through sharing the podcast or spreading the word around or participating in the Discord. If if you are interested in getting the Discord link, find our bio on Instagram and you can find the link there. And so this week we have to say thank you so much to Frequent Flyer, Rachel, Carolyn, Sarah, Rowan, David, Alexandra, Nikki, Will, No Pride in Genocide, McAllis, Michelle, and Ian. Oh my gosh, there were so many folks. Thank you to you all.
1: Yes, thank you so much. So, Nora, um, I saw some pretty disturbing news this week that I think you had something to do with revealing, Um, and I think we should talk about it. And that disturbing news... Is that the numbers of reported people who have died from COVID 19 in Canada may be way, way off. Like front page story, front page news, way off. Like
0: ridiculously way off. Um, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, it's so wild. So we, um, I was part of a group of, uh, of researchers that came up with this analysis led by Principal Investigator Tara Morty-Ardy, Arty is a professor at the University of Toronto, and um And I mentioned Tara specifically of of all of the authors because she did a lot of the, like, she did the heavy lifting on this paper and the data analysis. But we estimate that Canada has miscalculated how many people have died from COVID by more than half. So, like, rather than being closer to 26,300, which is where it's at right now, uh, the estimate is that that it's much closer to 50,000 and might be even just a bit above that And the implications for that are massive because the way that we estimated this. Um, required, you know, using calculations from the Centers for Disease Control in the United States, they, they've got a calculation that they do to try and gauge how many COVID deaths were probably missed. Um, and so we use that calculation to, to look at Canada's numbers. But we also looked at things like cremation data and information about how many more people have died this year than had died in previous years and had controlled for, for factors like the poison drug crisis. And so took those deaths out of the death count and looked at, at where we were at. And the the fascinating thing is that, you know, in the in most of the pandemic, the estimate was that about 80% of Canada's dead happened de- the deaths happened in long-term care. And that put Canada way outside of peer countries in the OECD. And so, you know, looking at that it was like, wow, like there's something seriously wrong in long-term care in Canada. And while that's true, um this analysis suggests that actually the deaths that probably happened outside of long-term care were just not counted. And in some cases, they were even listed as like COVID was a contributing factor to the death, but it was not added to the official death death toll. And that depended on where you were in Canada. The only province that was counting every death as COVID or probable COVID was Quebec. And the province, uh, provincial officials got a lot of heat from journalists for being so broad with how they're applying, like, I don't know, their definitions here. But we looked at, as I said already, the CDC calculation, uh, cremation data. We also looked at sero- serotology um, levels of, um, like, how much COVID was in people's bloodstream. And we able to come up with a, a, a larger number of people probably had COVID in the first place, and then kind of did a calculation based on the case fatality rates. And all of these calculations brought us to the conclusion that it's likely that that double the number of people had had died. So that was a big deal. And, Sandy, I don't know if you saw, like, we were on the front page of every single newspaper in this country saying, whoa, crisis, crisis, crisis. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Nora.
1: So there's two things that I have
0: questions for you
1: about on this whole thing that I've been dying to ask you since I saw your name attached to the report earlier this week. Okay, so two questions. I don't know if you'll have the answer to them, but this is what immediately comes to mind. One, how the fuck is that possible? How the fuck yeah. is it possible that they counted so wrong or that they were only counting in a particular way in long-term care facilities? How is it possible and how is it so possible across the board, province to province, if you know a lot of this is, I assume, dependent on individual provinces and how they... Um, account for the deaths because healthcare is uh, so provincially um, uh, carried out. And then a the second question I have is why the fuck wasn't this on every single front page? Like I remember when it be- you know it became an issue that uh, uh, China was misreporting numbers, it was reported everywhere. When
0: mm-hmm. it became an issue
1: that New York State was misreporting numbers, it was reported everywhere. Um, this is pretty major and it is like in Canada, why the fuck is this? (laughs) I just assumed it would have gotten more pickup when I saw it in McLean's. I was like, okay, everyone else is going to like put it on the front page the next day. I didn't see it. What the, what's going on?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll answer your first question first. So how is it that Canada could have missed this number of deaths? Um, Canada's death reporting systems are so old there are, there are actually provinces like Saskatchewan where we actually don't have death data at all since April 2020. Like it's just, it's an embarrassment. And it, when we're really whoa, outside. Whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> sorry, stop. What did you say?
1: Yeah, yeah. April like, 2020?
0: Yes. That's over a year ago, Nora. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And of all of the provinces, only two are able to report death data up until February 2021. Only two. Uh, Ontario, I'm sorry, um,
1: yeah. isn't isn't tracking like a really important piece of controlling the impacts of the virus and of the mm-hmm. pandemic? What yeah. the fuck? This is absolutely unacceptable.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so you know, you said something about like deaths in long term care. Why? Why did then we know about deaths in long term care? Those are institutional settings, and they are legally bound to follow up on deaths. And so there was like an official way that people, professionals were paying attention to who died. And then there's a reporting kind of mechanism that kicks in. But you can, you can imagine how many people probably died at home, how many people probably died very quickly from uh, uh, symptom onset to death, because now we know that that was not uncommon with, with COVID and how these folks probably, you know, didn't have anybody who would be able to advocate for them to make sure their death was ruled a COVID death or maybe... Their families didn't even realize they had to do this. You know, there was a story uh, a couple of months ago in New Brunswick where some family uh, spoke out against the fact that their loved one had not been considered a COVID death. And they advocated to Public Health New Brunswick and the the, the government to say, no, no, this, is, this person, like our loved one needs to be listed as having died from COVID. And the government was like, okay, 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 you're right. And then they changed it. And so it's just like a really good example of how completely – bad, (laughs) how completely inadequate our death tracking has been in this country. And so we were actually dealing with data that only in the majority of Canada, with the exception of Manitoba and Quebec, that only got us up to November 2020. November 2020. And we cannot look after that, except in Quebec and Manitoba up until February, about the number of people who have died in this country, and then the cause of death. It's really, really shocking that it's so poor. And so that I guess gets me to the the second question: Why wasn't this bigger news? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I like you know we we did media across the board, uh, with the notable exception of CBC. CBC did not cover this at all, um, which is very what? interesting. Sorry, really, <laughs> the public yeah.
1: broadcaster did not have anything to say about the public <laughs> inadequacy of our reporting system?
0: Yeah, they they ran a Canadian press article on their website. But other than that, there was no CBC Health article, there was no uh, radio news articles. I mean, I, I emailed our station here and was like, Hey, you know, considering you serve the very tiny Anglophone community in Quebec, uh, there's this big report that just came out. Quebec is very an interesting part of the report. And oh, by the way, an Anglophone in this province has written it. Let me know if you want to talk. And they didn't even respond. And it's like people who I know. And it's like, um, sorry, if you don't want to look like you're like hiding information on behalf of the federal government as the public broadcaster, like... Maybe you should think a little bit harder about how you would interact with such a bombshell report that that poses a lot of questions, right? Because so much of our analysis is based on proxy analyses, like we have to get at X through Y because we don't have the data. At the very least, I mean, follow up on these questions that we're asking. Wow, that
1: is is unacceptable and a really big embarrassment and quite... You know, I think it's related to what we were talking about last week, about how much of Canada is like this weird branding exercise, like the idea of Canada as a country is a branding exercise, and how much the media actually plays into that. Because, you know, the way that Canada has framed the way that it's dealt with COVID has been... In a lot of ways, better than the United States, and part of that includes these death rates, which now we know are totally wrong, but no one's reporting that. And um, you know, a big part of that has also been the the, the way that uh, Canada has engaged with uh, vaccine rollout, which you know has left out a lot of the conversation about how. Um, what a negative impact it's going to have on other countries uh, all over the world, the way that Canada engaged in getting its vaccines. And so I just, mm-hmm. what is this fucking resistance to reporting the truth? Like as as uh, people, as citizens, I suppose, or people living in Canada, anyone living in Canada, we need to have an understanding of where our health systems are failing. Like, gosh, I mean, given what happened uh, during SARS, this should have been fixed way back when, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? If this was an issue that people knew about, this should have been fixed a long time ago. Like, I don't... You're telling me April 2020 in Saskatchewan? That is stunning to me. That is absolutely stunning and
0: unacceptable. Well, and it just shows like how completely impossible it is to stay on top of the data, as you say. Um, w- w- there was some journalists put the questions about like that were raised in our reports to some uh, public health officers. And so Teresa Tam, the, the federal um, public health officer, uh, she responded to the report by saying, yes, there's there's gaps in, da- in data in Canada. We need to fix those gaps. So that was, I mean, positive. but. <laughs> Uh, Someone asked Bonnie Henry out in in British Columbia what she thought about the report. And her reaction was that she's going to take the report with a grain of salt because it was based on Ontario data. What? (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, that was her response, not concern? Literally. Literally, that was the headline. Dr. Bonnie Henry says report out of the Royal Society of Canada should be taken with, quote, a grain of salt. And it's, like, I mean, I don't know if you're, like, a bitter person or something and, like, you just don't want to spice it up at all with even salt, but um, what the fuck? I mean, even if you were skeptical of uh,
1: the research, like, you should be slightly concerned, no? <laughs> like, uh, Yes, uh, um, a little bit. Jeez, that is really fucking, that's really dangerous um, to be hearing that from someone who's in charge of so much related to this pandemic for that to be the reaction. Wow. Um, (laughs) Canada way to continue to disappoint. Um, thank you for that. BC, Mm -hmm. um,
0: lots going on there in BC. Well, you know, like the, the 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 very weird thing in terms of timing with all of this was that we have, you know we've got this this report that says that all these extra deaths have happened and they weren't counted. And it gets released right in the middle of this stunning heat wave that that just nailed uh, parts of uh, British Columbia and parts of Alberta. And after the couple of days of the heat wave passing, the news comes out that hundreds and hundreds of people have died and again public health is like well we're not sure if it's all related to the heat wave, we have to wait and see. And it's like, wait and see, of course, because you don't have accurate death reporting data, but okay. Um, and of course, these uh, most people who, who died uh, from heat were living in apartments that didn't have air conditioning, which also, again, means they're not living in some sort of institutional setting where there's like an accountability mechanism. It's just like negligent landlords. And it was very um it was really sad, you know, like the principal investigator of the of our of our death report, her partner's mother died in in the heat the heat. Oh my wave. god. And so we were yeah, she announced it on Twitter, so I'm saying this knowing that, you know, she she said people can share this information, but to just see like Us trying to ring the alarm bell on death counting, death reporting. uh, You know, and it can be related to anything, but obviously COVID's the big thing to talk about right now. And then in the the at literally the day after we release this report, all this news about about these deaths happens, and she experiences this in her own family. And it's again this question of how are we counting deaths in this country? How do we track this? And then of like to not even mention, which I'm sure we we will be talking about the. The danger that people were placed in because of this extreme weather—it's um—it's—it's it's been a, v- a very bizarre week of like the official line saying we're mourning the, the 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 victims of residential schools, and then at the same time seeing like real life failures. It's not real life, real time failures of more and more people dying, of government not taking things seriously and not doing what they should be doing to protect people, and it just feels like oh no that's that 's all talk isn 't it? You actually don 't actually care if people die
1: Oh my god i watching the news and seeing that i um, all of these these deaths from heat also felt like it should have been you know front page news and I mean, the fires certainly were like let 's be absolutely the fires certainly were, but i don 't know that people were really talking about the heat related deaths in the same way. And perhaps that's because of the devalued uh, people who live in Leighton, which was, um, you know, the town that was spoken about the most. Um, Perhaps that's the reason. Or maybe, again, it's just this whole, the way that Canada likes to report, doesn't like to report shitty shit about itself, like Canadian media. But... Um, we have to talk about this (laughs) as a country. um, And we have to talk about what the fuck we're going to do because there's now, you know, as we get into this place in the climate crisis where more and more people are going to die, and let's be clear, more and more people are absolutely going to die because, God, like, that temperature raise, like, that that record-breaking temperature high, it is the highest... Um, it's the highest temperature ever recorded, not only in North America, but also in South America and also in Europe. Wow. Yes, it's ridiculous. It's major. Uh, And that break, like typically when you're, you know, I was talking to a climate scientist just yesterday, like typically when you uh, break a temperature record, it's broken by like point something of a degree. It was broken by like, five degrees. That's, like, really unheard of. Um, And so, of course, there's going to be loss of life. And as as we talk about this, we have to talk about, you know, how we're going to prevent things from getting worse, how we're going to fix things, but also how we're going to protect people right now. And Nora, I don't think we're ready for any of those conversations in Canada, in politics. Like, none of those conversations are happening properly. Like, as you say, people who are Dying of heat in their apartments. Like there has to be a real conversation in this country about whether it's going to be mandated that people have access to air conditioning. Like whether that should be law. Like that should be a discussion that we're having in the same way that you know years prior people had discussions about um, landlords require, being required to provide access to heat. Like you have to have heating infrastructure uh, if you're if you're providing um, housing. Like, we might need to have the same conversation. I don't even know if we're ready for that.
0: Or fire escapes, right? Like, it's it's so – it's it's probably so foreign to a lot of people to think that there were public discussions about these kinds of things that are in the building code now. But you're so right that looking at what has happened in in on the West Coast and at these incredible temperatures, and then also, of course, just, you know, hearing from friends and family and seeing people suffering through the, the heat wave, it – it definitely makes me wonder like okay we've hit a new high water mark of you know of extreme weather of death i mean i want to i want to mention that the coroner in bc says there's probably 719 deaths that were related to the heat 719 deaths i mean Oh, my God. It's so high. And, you know, I don't doubt that this is big news in British Columbia. I don't doubt that it is on the front page of the newspapers in B.C. I know that John Horgan's initial reaction was, well, you know, death's a part of life, <laughs> which is like, no, no, death is the opposite of life. <laughs> death is the the literal not life but thanks for fucking (laughs) coming out john horgan you fucking piece of shit and by the way if anyone's still like supporting the ndp like let me know why because this all seems really bad i don't get it but the the rest of canada is not having that conversation and i think that that is what is is such a worrying sign because it's like we live in a federation for a reason. And as everybody like who listens to the show knows, like I'm super critical of the federation. I think it should be destroyed. I don't understand why we like cling to the idea of Canada. But if we have a federation at the very fucking least, maybe, maybe we should be talking more seriously about like an extreme high death count event that happens in a part of this country. Like Quebec went through a, um, a heat wave in two thousand and seventeen or two thousand and eighteen, um, where something like eighty people died in Montreal. And it was very, very shocking. And there was a there was a weird thing that happened. I think they're at the same heat wave heat wave happened in Toronto or a heat wave happened maybe just after in Toronto. And again, what came out of the news was that Quebec was counting deaths more generously related to heat than Ontario was because the official death toll of a similar heat wave in Toronto was like 10, but people would show up to the hospital with heat exhaustion and die and they wouldn't be con- like counted as deaths related to heat. And so we just don't have like the maturity in our, in our analysis in death in this country and like my God – The pandemic has just shown that so clearly. And so now we have, like, I don't know, like the worst proof that we could have had. I mean, like in the last many, many decades, right? 719 people dead, an entire town incinerated uh, in 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 24 hours. And there's no national discussion about, like, I mean, one, protecting people from extreme weather, and then two, like, maybe we should stop doing the things that are causing extreme weather. And in fact, like, Natasha Fata at CBC actually posed the question, well, maybe this is natural and not man-made, on the air, and it's just like... What? what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, Okay, I mean, where has everyone been for the last fucking 35 years? Like, this is a conversation that anybody who's 40 years and under has only heard their entire existence. What is it going to take to actually see action in this fucking country?
1: Like, why are people so committed to having the most base, ridiculous level conversation possible about anything? Like, there are real difficult questions that need to be answered that could be discussed on the air coming out of this. Like, one is, you know, we're seeing more and more of this. This isn't the first heat wave where people have died. This isn't the first um, series of fires that have decimated an entire town. Here's a question. Is Canada going to need to figure out a climate refugee system that is able to um, take in internally displaced people and externally ex- displaced people in the next few years. Here's a question. <laughs> There's a deep question that we should probably be considering. How are we going to take care of people who are impacted by the change of, in climate um, in, in their lives, both uh, because of loss of life um, and because of the just the massive changes that are going to be happening to their lives, and quite frankly, are happening to their lives. And again, this is um, something that, you know, a lot of lives have been changed in the North. We know this, right? And these, these, aren't, these haven't been national conversations and they should be. And those are conversations that are much more important to be had um, than this weird appeal to uh, what we know might uh, excite some weird base population of weirdos who are like, this has nothing to do with man. Like, fuck that. Like, why would you care about that right now? People are seriously being harmed. And we can do things about it, and that should be the discussion. Like, we're going into a federal election in the fall, and there are a lot of things that are going to need to be discussed uh, that, you know, just from the last year alone, whether it's race, uh, Islamophobia... Uh, whether it's uh you know the climate crisis or these fires there are so many things that public health that we need to seriously have discussions about going into the election that that you know so much of our public conversation depends on a sophisticated media um and a sophisticated electorate and we're just not there we're not there and it's so distressing
0: yeah Did you see the news – I think we may have mentioned it last week, but just in case we didn't – the news that Catherine McKenna is not rerunning in the next election?
1: I did see that. I did see that. No, I don't think we mentioned it last week.
0: Well, so Catherine McKenna is not rerunning. And it it was it was kind of like floated early to the Canadian press. And then the Canadian press article was all about how Mark Carney is going to run in the riding and then become the climate savior of Canada and ride in on a fucking white horse through, um, I don't know, three rings of fire and be like, I'm here to save the Liberal Party. It's like, we know, we know, we know you've had the entire Canadian media establishment, like giving you a blowjob for the last fucking year. And we all witnessed this, like, non-stop groveling in love of fucking Mark Carney. The funny thing that I found is that Catherine McKenna, like she, she made her mark as the minister of climate, right? Like she's not there anymore. She's in infrastructure, but for the first uh, couple of years, when she gets in there, she's like, I'm gonna, I'm a serious politician. I'm going to do this. I'm going to the climate, the climate change minister, whatever the fuck they call that, that position. And what I've been so interested by is in the aftermath of her announcing that she's not rerunning, there has been zero attention on how fucking shit she has been. She was as the minister of climate change. And all of the attention has just been like, oh, she was just so treated poorly because she's a woman. And oh, my God, they called her climate Barbie. That's so sad. And oh, my God, people vandalized her office. And it's like, okay, sorry, but no offense. She's got fucking private security. Like as someone that gets that shit all the time, I don't have much fucking desire to read about that in lieu of any literal political analysis of how this person has like walked away unscathed as actually now a victim rather than someone that had the power to fucking do something for the climate and bought a pipeline, <laughs> right? It's like, it's so interesting to see the construction of that news at the literal same time that 719 people have died because there's been no uh, effort at all to make people's living environment safer for them. Or there's been no real effort to, to actually divest Canada from, from climate, uh, divest Canada from fossil fuels and from resource extraction. And so it's just like, I have no faith in any of the cultural creators in this country who would look at someone like Catherine McKenna and be like, hmm, the story here is actually that people called her climate Barbie and not... Uh, the story here is that she did fuck all when she was minister of the environment and fuck her for having done fuck all. And I mean, these are the,
1: the types of analyses that are going to be so important going into the fall. Like, look, it seems pretty clear that we're going to have a fall election, right? It's, it seems like pretty clear that in the coming months there is going to be an election, this is the type of thing that we need to be talking about. This is why the liberals get away with so much is because the news refuses to really hold their feet to the fire on the nothing mm-hmm. that they do on a regular basis. Because, I mean, I don't really know how else to describe their, the, the cycle of their rule. It's like nothing, 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 something bad. Nothing, nothing, continuation of something bad from the conservatives, nothing like that is that is that's what they do. It feels like, and I am just really frustrated by a news media more and more, and you know we talk about this all the time the the failings of the news, but it is. It's just so fucking unacceptable to me that it's not front page news that the, the count is wildly off with COVID deaths and it's not front page news. All of the different ways that Canada's failures led to what happened, what is happening on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It just seems like there's no appetite to have an adult conversation about any of this. Well, well, that
1: and also to point the finger like someone is to blame for these things. Like the, you can trace these things to a source and that source is faulty fucking policy. Someone is to blame for these things. And we cannot be shy at pointing the fucking finger where it needs to be pointed because otherwise we're never going to truly put the effort behind the solutions that we need to, um, to implement to do the things that I mentioned before, like we have to prevent um, further degradation, we have to deal with the degradation as it's currently happening, and we have to uh, solve the problems that result uh, from from people who have to deal with these emergency situa- situations um, right now.
0: Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the foreshadowing—I will call it—of the building collapse in um, in Florida. And it's not lost on me that the tower was named the Champlain. I think that that's actually quite, I mean, very funny is not the right word, but you, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say when I say that it's a bit funny from a Canadian perspective. So here is a tower that was on top of land that was shifting and that the concrete was degrading and it collapsed. And it collapsed, and and more than 100 people have probably died. They haven't been able to recover even, I think, maybe more than 25 bodies at the time that we're recording this because of how the building collapsed. And I'm just looking at this, and it's like, this is a building that was built in the 1980s. It wasn't very old, and just overnight, lives are gone because there was no... There was nothing compelling. The owners of the building, which were the people that lived there, right, the operated as like a condominium, to do the necessary repairs, and it and it just seems like such an incredible, like, allegory for the moment that we find ourselves in right now. No one wants to pay for anything. We have massive costs that are that are facing us. We absolutely need the government to pour money into things like residential care or to pour money into like air conditioning or buying hotel rooms for people so they have a place to go for free if it's co- if it's too hot outside like these kinds of mitigating measures because it all just costs too much money and like like do we really need to drag politicians kicking and screaming from where they are now and then like Threaten their lives and, or their, I should say, their livelihoods, <laughs> uh, to actually get them to take this fucking seriously. I mean, Horgan's answer on the fly is a really good example of where the fuck their, their heads are at. Where it's just like, well, it's a part of death. There's of life. There's just nothing we can do about people dying from heat. And it's like, oh my god. Like I don't really want to witness a mass extinction. I really don't want to see human humanity having mass extinct like situations because of these kinds of very scary and unusual weather patterns, but there doesn't seem to be any urgency. And instead you have like someone like Jason Kenney who looks at the fact that some churches have been set on fire and we can maybe talk about that. I don't know if we'll have time, but says, sees that. And rather than saying, okay, there's something going on here. And you know, it's very possible that these are like, white people actually setting these fires, contrary to what the popular kind of opinion is kind of evolved into. And he's making this into an issue of religious like protection and we have to protect like religion and all this stuff. Rather than him being enemy number one this week because of the role that the oil and gas industry plays in destroying this fucking planet. It's so fascinating. And it's like, who is allowing them to get away? Who's allowing someone like Horgan or someone like Kenny to get away with not being like the, the biggest like persona non-grata of a of a particular day of the week. It's journalists. It's 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 management deciding that they're that you know we're not going to cover this or we're not going to ask questions like that. Or I mean in the case of our death report, the entire CBC being like, oh, that's not that important. We're not going to cover that at all. It's it's really fascinating to just witness like the manufacturing of consent in real time uh, and to create and to to witness how those in power create the understanding of these problems in such a way that is so narrow that average people like just don't really see those direct connections or those solutions or, or who we should be blaming and instead are just kind of like stuck in this situation of complete despair while they may or may not have air conditioning where they live.
1: Yeah. I don't really, (laughs) I don't really know what else to say. Um, how do we fix this, Nora? Like, what is the problem? Like, when you started talking about uh, journalists, I started thinking back to when Davida Mistrachi asked the question and published the story about the different journalists that had uh, relationships to one another. And it makes me wonder what relationships exist between journalists and politicians. Like, I think you and I both know, because of uh, how the types of advocacy work that we've done in the past and who we've come into contact with, that there is a very, you know, comfortable elite in Canada that all know one another. Um, and that exists in journalism and it also exists in uh, the political world. And I'm just wondering what conversations are being had to protect people or what conversations aren't being had because they're precluded by these relationships and nepotism Um of uh, these small communities who really control Canada and control um, how Canada is seen and control what Canadians know about what's really going on, mm.
0: it's so funny because that's one of the things that you do learn about Canadian history about how um the the Canadas before Confederation and then after confederation, um basically Toronto and Montreal were both controlled by these elite. Elites, I guess, uh, the family compact in Toronto and the and the Chateau clique in Montreal, um, and of course that exists everywhere. Um, Winnipeg, the the committee of a hundred business owners or whatever the fuck who ended up being the group that the Winnipeg general strike was organized in response to, or maybe it was a thousand. I forget if it was a committee of hundred or committee of a <laughs> thousand. It doesn't matter but you know the 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 powers that be work very very hard to to construct canada in the image of a, of a meritocracy and even if we look and say obviously canada's not a meritocracy it still can be very difficult to see through how this country is built and how those sources of of personal relationships and power protecting operates and you know you can see it really well like um Brian Lilly at The Sun is dating the director of communications for Doug Ford. No major media has made a big deal about that. And those folks all know about that. They've known about that for a long time because it's been reported by Frank and then it was reported again by Canada Land. You have other situations like, you know, there's a prominent columnist in Ontario whose wife, like, is a communications bureaucrat for the government of Ontario. And anytime someone's like, isn't that fucking weird? It's like, oh, are you calling her unprofessional? Are you calling me unprofessional? And all this kind of shit. And it's like... No, it's not a question of being professional or not professional. Like, I don't know what your relationship is like, but my relationship, like, I hear a fucking lot about my partner's life and his work and what's going on. And I don't have any idea how the fuck, if you're a journalist, that you don't pick up on these little strands based on, like, what you may hear at home, how that doesn't influence you. And that how that not just doesn't influence you, but that also gives you complete faith in the, the structures that you're supposed to be critiquing. Now, I don't think it's journalists and uh, bureaucrat relationships that are like the probably the most poisonous uh, that we see in this country. But there are certainly other kinds of relationships that, as you say, Sandy... Uh, you know, are hidden, but then help to justify obscure change how things are getting written about in this country. And, you know, during the pandemic, there's one of the, the 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 good things that has come over the course of the last 18 months has been a rise in independent media. And that has been so wonderful to see, because I think that independent media is the only real way that we're going to be able to challenge this, this kind of status quo way of doing uh, things. And I also know that there's like there's a huge new set of journalists who are all in the real world and seeing firsthand how things are working and realizing that oh my god it's all shit <laughs> and i know this because i hear from you all the time and i love it um and i will protect you if you ever want to be in touch with me just for the catharsis I, I i will not uh i will absolutely not burn anybody if you tell me something that you probably shouldn't tell me and so that gives me a bit of hope. But the powers that be <laughs> work so hard to make sure that those kinds of people are marginalized and excluded and they don't they don't rise through the ranks. And it's um, it's it's extremely um I don't I, annoying <laughs> is not the best word for it. But it is the force. These are the forces that then sanitize out of our public consciousness and understanding of what the fuck is going on of why then we don't see certain news on the front page that you otherwise would think we should.
1: Yeah, so, you know, if you're a bored journalist out there who's interested in fighting with the powers that be to force some really deep conversations to happen in the next few months, like, here are some things that you should think about having a story about. Like, what are we going to do with respect to air conditioning in this country as things heat up? Are we going to mandate it? Are we going to write that into building codes? Are we going to make sure that people have access to a, like, comfortably, like, a, a livable temperature in terms of living environment? Like, is that a right that we now have to implement? Is that something we're going to deal with? What are we going to do with respect to our uh, contributions to the climate crisis? Like, I mean, that's a real obvious one. Um That's a deep conversation that needs to to be had. What are we going to do with respect to people who are displaced? Is Canada going to need to come up with a system of taking care of climate refugees? Oh, my God, are we going to fix public health and the reporting with respect to public health, whether it's a pandemic or dying by heat? So that we actually truly know what's going on in this country and can then and those things can then inform the conversations that we're having about public policy as we lead up to the elections. Because my God, we cannot have another election where we pretend that people don't have a track record um, that contributes to all of the crap that we're going through right now that is destroying people's lives.